Yeah. So the millionaire next door, when it came out, I was kind of in the process of you know figuring it all out, read it and basically said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to control my expenses. I'm going to live within my means and I'm going to be the millionaire next door. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Thank you for being here, everybody. We have an excellent guest on the show today. John from ESI Money is here to talk to us about how we can earn save and invest our way to financial independence. John is a former marketing executive, a real estate investor, and now the owner of Rockstar Finance. If you don't know what Rockstar Finance is, check it out. You'll really, really like it. He's built up his net worth to the multi-million dollar level through the principles we're going to be talking about on this show today. He's also a, a family man. He's got a He's got two kids and he's been married to his wife for, I think, over 20 years. John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but welcome to the show, John. How's it going? Hey, Andy, how are you doing? It's good I'm, to be here. I'm great. It's really great to have you here. Um, ESI. So ESI stands for Earn, Save, save and Invest, and invest. right? You are right. Yes. Excellent. Well, I thought that'd be kind of cool if we walked through some of those principles that you've been talking about for so long on your blog and inspiring people uh, about earn, save and invest and help people to understand how you've reached financial independence and and your status uh, as a multimillionaire. So um, maybe we could talk a little bit about the earn side of things. Um, Okay. why, Why is someone's career one of the most important tools in the wealth building box for that earn side of things. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people don't think about this, but there's really two reasons why it's one of the most important things. Um, first of all, uh, for, for the vast majority of people, probably 95% of people, um, your career is your biggest financial asset. If you look over the lifespan of a 40, 45, 50-year career and add up what that is worth, I mean, it's worth millions of dollars, right? Now, most people don't think of it that way, um, but it really is. It just, just add up the numbers. Um, so that's the first reason why. The second reason why is um, if you take the right steps, you can make those, you know, two or three million dollars that your career is worth, worth millions more um, by actively managing your career, um, trying to grow it, you know, by being intentional about it growing it instead of just kind of letting it happen to you. So with those two things, um, you know, career can be a big part of the earning equation for most people. Excellent. Well, could you give us a little bit of background on, I know, I know it's a lot to, to say, but a little bit of background on, on your career path when you were working before you were retired or financially independent, what did you do? And then how did you build yourself up to, uh, to increasing your, your salary throughout those years? Yeah, well, let me say, first of all, I learned what I'm going to share all kind of by, you know, school of hard knocks. So, and it took me a long time to figure it out. So, any someone starting today would have a big advantage because they could put these principles into practice right away versus took me sometimes 20 years to learn them. Uh, but I went to, uh, I got an undergraduate degree in business and economics and then got a, uh, an MBA and worked all the way through uh, the corporate field in marketing and kind of, uh, progressed my way up in the marketing 
field through, with different companies and you know changing from company to company, job to job within companies, then to eventually became the president of a hundred million dollar company. Um, and um, you know, I use the principles that I talk about on my on my uh, website. The main ones, um, I'll, I have seven of them, and we probably won't have time to go through all of them. But the the first two are really the most important because um, if you get them right, you can get probably about eighty percent of the benefit of growing your career. The first one is uh, I listed as overperforming or doing a good job. People would call it, but there's there's a um, there's a way of doing that that. that can pretty much guarantee your success. And it involves talking with your boss and finding out what he or she expects you to do. Generally, the terminology most companies use is um, they have expectations or you meet expectations um, when you get your review. So what are those expectations? Get them down in writing, get them quantified, and then now you know exactly what they expect. Now do more than they expect because people who do more than what's expected get paid more than what uh, average people get paid. And you do that over and over throughout your career. You overperform expectations. You're going to earn a lot of money in the lifetime of your career. Um, the second thing is you want to be likable, um, which is, that's kind of controversial to say a little bit, but studies will show that um, people who are likable get promoted almost as much as people who overperform. So it's just, that's just the way it is. People like to promote the people that they like. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a backslapper, you don't have to be a good old boy or anything like that. But if you simply treat other people like you want to be treated um, and treat them, you know, you know, think about the other person first, that'll go a long way to being likable and, and it will have a big impact on your career and your earnings. Very cool. So, so those, those were the main two for you that were key, right? Yes. Those are, those are, I have seven, but those mm-hmm. are the, the two that if somebody does, then they'll get the vast majority of the benefits. Excellent. Well, I'll definitely link to that uh, article for the seven in the show notes. Uh, but those are two really good points. W- one thing that you mentioned there is that you had, um, gone to, um, several different companies or, or almost 10 different companies, right? Throughout your, throughout your career. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. When I say them out to people, they're like, wow, did you hold a job for more than three months? <laughs> it well, feels let's, like let's, I <laughs> let's talk about that though, because, because, um, some people maybe will stick around too long and then not get the income that they need or the salary that they need. What, at what point did you decide within these? I mean, obviously it was probably different for each of these places you were at, but at what point was it necessary for you to say, hey, I got to make a move in order for this to be worth it or for my income to increase? Yeah, it was different in pretty much every situation. I mean, sometimes it would be um, it would be simply because it wasn't challenging and I and I it wasn't necessarily a income thing, but it was more like you know, I'm, I'm just not very challenged. I can do more. Um, sometimes it was there was no room to progress up the organization because the two guys – you know, ahead of me owned, they were family, it was a family business and they owned the company and you know, so I wasn't going to pass them up. Um, so it kind of depended. Um, but I invested a lot of extra time and effort in early on in my career. And we moved a few times early on in my career until we got to the point where we had kids and I wanted to, and I made the sac, I made a, a choice at that point in time to not be as aggressive with my career because I wanted to trade that for the time that I would have at home. Hmm. So I found it, I found a job that still paid very well. Um, but the annual increases weren't that high, but I was off work every day by 5 PM. I didn't work weekends at all. I didn't travel very much. I was at every 
event that my kids had. I was the coach for the, you know, my, my son's basketball team and soccer teams. So, um, that was a trade-off that I thought was, you know, well worth the investment. That's perfect. That's much better than any income you can earn. Obviously the time with your family, yes. that's perfect. Very cool. Well, you know, we're, we were, we were on this earn section. So, um, outside of your day job, you, you talk about on your site, uh, starting a side business uh, can be a way to increase your income. If somebody's just getting started and they are, you know, they're working at a job and they like their job, but they're also looking for sort of another outlet. Where, where's the best place to start if you want to try to, you know, get into a side business? Yeah, so I do recommend having a side hustle because um, it can really speed up um, your path to financial independence. Because if you have that, you don't have to save as much, right? You can retire earlier. You can live off part of your savings and part of your side hustle because your side hustle goes with you when you uh, retire. Um, so I would start with, um, you know, first of all, finding something that you can enjoy and you can do for a long time. So, um, you know, it's got to be something that you like and you want to do it and it's not a drag otherwise it's just it's just as bad as a job you don't like right mm-hmm. that's just creating a side hustle you don't like now um you also also have to find something that people are willing to pay you for obviously or it's not going to be worth it and um that you can then ultimately make a profit at that they'll pay you at a rate that will um, cover your expenses and more than that and that could be a lot of things i did uh, personally i did freelance writing back in the day when magazines were uh, you know big then, you know, magazines are kind of dying off these days, but, uh, they used to hire freelance writers and I paid off my mortgage by writing freelance articles at night, you know, after my family went to bed. Um, and then that kind of morphed into blogging. Um, so I've done that for almost, um, see, probably it's going on 13 years now. Um, my son and I were referees for soccer referees for a while. That was his main job. And I kind of came along for the ride. So we did that, um, over the course of time. And then I got into real estate and that was, you know, you consider that either an investment or a side hustle, either one. Um, but that's been uh, pretty profitable as well. That's great. That's great. I like how you, you know, found a couple hours extra in your week or however long it would take you to do a one article for freelance writing and then sort of built that up into a a blogging business and then moving on from there but being able to pay off your mortgage with it. That's that's very incredible. Very cool. Yeah. It, it was a it was a it was a lot of late nights and my wife was my editor uh which, you know, when somebody edits your work, you're always like, how dare you change a word, you know? <laughs> but uh, we lived through that, and uh, we ended up paying off our mortgage then. That's incredible. Very cool. Well, um, you uh, on the earn side, you also discuss credit card rewards as a way to, you know, enjoy your life a little bit more and earn some more. Uh, obviously, this is, can be a slippery slope uh, with, with credit cards. you got to make sure you're responsible with them. But uh, yes. tell, tell us how you've done that with uh, with credit card rewards. So we've, um, so I agree with you a hundred percent, you know, we don't have any balances. We pay them off every month. We've never had any fees with our credit cards, but we have kind of a, you know, several, you know, five to seven main cards that we use and we, we go with cash back. I have tried travel hacking with points, but it's just, it's too much effort for me at this point in my, in my life. And I'm, you know, I'm retired, so I don't, 
I'd rather have the time than the effort I have to put into it. I don't need to save the money. Um, but you know, between uh, bonuses and cash back and looking for ways, basically just charging everything you can with the right card, where you can earn you know a minimum of two percent um, is my lowest, but you know up to five percent, and then you get the bonuses. You then you earn twenty percent uh, in some cases. Um, I made four thousand dollars last year, which is not bad, right? Um, wow. Now we had we had a lot of um, expenses, but my daughter's in college. And her college happens to let us pay for tuition with a credit card that earns 2% cash back, and there's no fee for doing that. So why wouldn't we do it, right? Um, so we had, a, yeah, we had, you know, an extra, even on, in a, on a regular year, we're still probably going to earn, you know, $1,500 to $2,000 just by, you know, using the right cards, buying things we'd normally buy. That's incredible. And that, and that $4,000, that's tax free, right? It is. Yeah, it's a reward. It's not any sort of earnings. So yeah, it is tax-free. That's something that people don't think about too with uh, with the cards. I mean, for you to be able to earn that much without the taxes, that's that's a big deal. Very cool. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously we got to be responsible about it, pay it off every month, track your money. I think this is more of a you know advanced strategy for those folks that are really into uh, making sure they know what's happening with their finances. But it, obviously it's it can it can take advantage of that. I, it's interesting that you talk about the the cash back versus the versus the travel rewards because there there is a lot of work with that. I I started to dabble yes. with that this year and it's it's a lot of homework and I mean it can well, pay the off. Well, the key part, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the you know the thing I got stuck at was how you spend the points. Right, there's like a gazillion ways to spend them. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the way to maximize them? Um, and that's the part that for me that you know I'm like I don't know. This just seems like it's a lot of work for in time, right? Um, for not as much payoff as I had hoped it would be. Absolutely. A lot of work. <laughs> okay, well, cool. So we hit on earn a little bit there, obviously, through your your um, your income, through your, your day job, you know, building your career, building your wealth, uh, starting a side business that uh, you feel passionate about, not just something that... Um, you know, uh, is just something to do. You want to feel passionate about it. You want to make sure people will actually pay you for it. And then the credit card rewards side of thing, which is just a nice little perk for money you're spending anyway. So that's, that's the earn side of things. So let's talk about save. So a lot of people consider that, you know, that high income of what you're talking about as the barometer of being wealthy, but they don't, they don't really factor in the saving side of things. So why, why do you feel like saving as is important a part of uh, the wealth building process for you? Uh, well, because it, it really just boils down to the fact that you can spend it all no matter how much you make. I mean, that's that simple. Um, we've seen you know, celebrities and athletes and all sorts of people who have made you know tens of millions of dollars go bankrupt because you can spend it all. I mean, if you have, even if you have a high income, um, it can all be it can all go away if you don't control yourself. So you have to be able to have some self-control and you have to save no matter what your income is. So that's why it's a vital part of the equation. Absolutely. And did you have, as you were, um, you know, uh, doing your savings throughout your life, did you guys have a barometer of a, a savings percentage that you tried to hit or um, anything like that? We didn't have... A savings goal per se. Our income was fairly high, um, so we we fully funded my 401k for every year that we had, were available to have, to do it. Uh, every year that I had a 401k, and then we saved in addition to that. And over the course of 20 years, I went back and looked at our numbers, and we track everything in Quicken so I could do this. Our savings was 36% of our gross income over those 20 years that I looked at it. Um, so you know, it was it. 
you know, by today's standards, 36% sounds low because, you know, people saving 50% or 70% of their uh, income. This is gross income, too, by the way. It's not net income. So, um, that, you know, the 36% would be a lot higher if I was looking at net income. But, you know, it was, it was enough and it was a substantial amount because of our, our income was so high. Well, it might sound low in the Rockstar Finance Forum, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> compared, compared right. to the rest of the world, man, okay, I think that's yeah. pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> so you said you were uh, fully funding the 401k. Did you take advantage of Roth IRAs or HSAs, anything like that, too, while you were saving? Uh, we did have an HSA through our company, yeah. So um, it was oh, it was a really nice deal because our um, company converted from uh, traditional medical insurance to a high deductible plan. And they said, we're going to put $4,000 every year into your HSA for you. So, and we don't spend that much. We were a pretty healthy family. So, um, it just really racked up. I mean, it was a great, it was a great benefit for that company. Um, I didn't do Roth. I, I can't remember when the Roth IRA came around. Um, so I didn't do it. I saved into a just a regular taxable account with my excess, mm-hmm. um, which then I then I dipped into that fund when I bought my real estate. So um, it all worked out because it was pretty accessible. Well, very cool. Well, that's a good segue to the to the I section here of investing. Um, you know, you talked about real estate and um, utilizing like a brokerage account. Uh, so what are what are the specific ways that you built wealth uh, while you were continuing your life over the past you know couple of decades? Yeah, so two main ways. One is um, we bought index funds early, often as much as we could during the crash of you know two thousand eight, nine, ten, you know that range. Um, you know we bought we we plowed every extra dollar we could find into them. Like as it was, as the market was dropping, I mean, there were some nerve wracking days. I'm thinking, do I really believe this? Because this better work out. Because it, it would go down. I would, you know, throw in fifteen thousand dollars, and then it would go down big again the next day, and the next day, and then I'd throw in another fifteen, and it'd still go down. It'd go down. I'm like, wow. I hope this is right. Um, now, obviously, you know, eight years later, it worked out really well for us. Um, so index funds was the first thing. Second thing was uh, real estate investing. About that time when the market was down and you know everything, everybody was, was kind of panicking, real estate was down too, um, I got into real estate investing and uh, bought several units in Michigan. Really, not at the bottom of the market, but kind of like as the market was starting to come back up. So, before the run-up that we've seen in the past you know, five to six years. That's cool. And then, um, what was the what was the first real estate investment that you that you snapped? Was that in the Grand Rapids area, like you said? Yeah, so I lived in Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. and um, the very first one. So the first the first one that I actually um, had a contract accepted on was sold out from under me. So imagine this. I'm like a you know I'm like a new investor. I do have a mentor, and he's taking me through all this. But I'm like, okay, we're going to buy this duplex. We put a bid on it, and um, like he calls me a week later and said, well, the, the guy sold it to somebody else. Mm. And I'm like, well, how does that happen? I have a contract <laughs> contract on it. And, and basically the guy just wasn't very scrupulous. He just, you know, he got a better offer somehow and he sold it. And I was like, oh man, this is, this real estate stuff is crazy. Maybe I shouldn't do it, but we persevered. And so my first purchase was like a 1920s home in Northern Grand Rapids, Michigan. It had been abandoned. It looked like, you know, something you'd see on a horror movie. I mean, it was just really, it was bad. Like, you know, like the doors, the glass in the door was broken and, you know, there weren't 
birds flying around inside, but they probably had been at some point. Um, and we, so we bought it. It, it was, um, it was a four bedroom house and it was strong, it was strong structurally and it had an outbuilding that had, a, had three bedrooms. Um, so it was just, you know, two different units on the same property. And, uh, so we bought it, um, the government owned it at that point in time. So we bought it from them. Um, and then we put in, I don't know, 30,000, $40,000 into it. That was our plan. We'd always buy, um, kind of a fixer upper and we would put a boatload of money into it and it would look awesome. Mm-hmm. And then we would, you know, rent it accordingly much more than, than what it would have rented if we hadn't put the money into it. So, um, that was the very first one. And, and then from there, um, I got another one a few months later and then another one, maybe six or so, seven months later. And some of these were buildings. So some of them had multiple units, uh, within the building. And then we just did the same thing. We, as, as tenants, um, would, you know, the lease would come up, we would say, we're going to remodel your apartment. Uh, it's going to look like this and have new appliances and new paint and new flooring, everything. Um, but the rent is going to go from $500 a month to $700 a month. Um, and most of them at that point didn't stick around, but we really refurbished those places from kind of a lower Kind of, I don't know. I call it like a C property. If you've ever heard people yep. talk about A, B, and C property, mm-hmm. so if like a C property, it was in a B location, but it was a C property the mm-hmm. way it had been maintained. We turned it into a B plus property in a B location. That's and, great. Uh, and those those C properties that you were buying, then what was like the typical price range for that? Just to give everybody an idea. Well, the, the good thing is it's in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. So the prices are very affordable. So we would buy. I bought one of my properties, uh, the one I liked the best. Um, it has two buildings and they each have four units, so eight units total in a shared parking lot. And we bought it for like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something mm-hmm. like that. And then put another you know fifty thousand dollars in, or maybe a little more than that. Um, so that's really really affordable because A is in Grand Rapids and B it was kind of at the low point of the real estate market. So those two things helped. And you said that this, what, what time of year was this? This was in, uh, early two thousands or is this, um, around the yeah. wait time frame? No, we bought like in 2012, 2012. Okay. Uh, yeah. You. 13, like in that range. Yeah. So, so like then, I said, it just, it just was coming out of the, you know, it was still, people were still kind of shell shocked, but mm-hmm. it wasn't as bad. It wasn't like right in the middle of everything. Right. So, so around 250 in 2012. And then where, where would something like that be nowadays? I mean, obviously there's been a so, increase in that. Yeah. Industry. I had, a, I had a, all of them priced out, um, because my management company also sells real estate. So they're always asking people, does anybody want to sell, you know, their properties? Um, and they've gone up by about 50%. And that was about a year or two ago. So they're probably even more than that because they also, in addition, my management company will send me offers and say, hey, there's this guy selling. And the price, I'm like, are you crazy? I don't know what's going on there. But uh, he's, he's like, well, this, this property will be gone in two days if you don't buy it. And I'm like, there's no way. I, 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 don't, I couldn't get the return I wanted out of it. Um, but you know, real estate properties uh, values have gone up dramatically there, and um, you know, a lot across the country, a lot of cities. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and then, when you're buying, when you bought this, you know, uh, house for two fifty or this uh, this building for two fifty, do you like to buy in cash? Do you like to re- leverage? What is your what's your strategy? I did. Buy, I bought in cash. Yeah. Nice. So I don't like debt. Uh, you know, we paid off our mortgage. I mentioned that earlier, and we paid off our credit card. We don't. We haven't had any debt for almost 25 years now. Pretty much our entire marriage. Um, so 
Um, yeah, I bought in cash, and I know you can earn a higher return, you know, by leveraging these. But I don't, I don't want to really deal with that. I feel it's just, I guess, personal preference for me. What What about living debt free uh, makes you happy? Um, just the, I mean, there's no stress. I mean, you're free. You're totally free from anybody. You don't have to, to worry about the bank. I mean, you can really do a lot with your finances when you don't have a mortgage. Imagine that. That's the, the biggest thing that uh, most people spend money on is their mortgage. Imagine if, uh, for people listening out there, if that was taken out of your budget and you didn't have to pay for it, imagine the opportunities you would have to you know, save and to give and to you know, do awesome things with the money that would be remaining. It's just, you know, it's that much better. So we, we always bought a house. We started buying a house. I mean, and these are very nice houses too. I'm not like saying we lived in a shack or anything by any stretch. <laughs> we lived in nice homes that were, you know, 2,500 square feet. So they're in, you know, they're, they're big. And most people would say that they were big. They were nice and new in most cases. But we lived in low-cost markets, and we bought houses that were you know, substantially below what our income said we could buy. And then we paid the first one off. You know, it took us a few years. I worked at that side hustle I talked about in order to make it happen. And then once we paid that first one off, we just when we moved, we would roll over all the money from that one to the next one and roll over the money from that one to the next one and on and on. And we just never had a mortgage from there on out. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high quality meats. And now we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts and will have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews. Available at a pet store near you, or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Let's jump back into our interview. Very cool. And, and, and for the for that first property, uh, when you bought it in cash, how long did it take you to save up that amount of money? It, it, was it a lot easier because you guys didn't have a mortgage at that point? Well, so the first one we paid off. Oh, you mean you mean the rental property? Yeah, the rental property. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So I. Uh, so what had happened at that point? Because um, you know we didn't have a mortgage, and we were making our income had grown and grown and grown by that time through the years. We had a big cushion, um, so we were accumulating cash. So the first, so I brought ended up buying three properties with a total of fourteen different units on them. The first um, two, I think, I bought for or at least the first one and a half, let's say, I bought with cash that I just had available. Um, so my, basically my emergency fund had just ballooned to a place that I was like, okay, I knew I was going to buy real estate at some point, so I'm just going to let it accumulate and I'm going to pay cash. Um, for the second, you know, for the last one and maybe the half, I did um, – I did sell some index funds in order to fund part of the purchases of those. Excellent. 
Okay. Well, great. Well, and, and then you said uh, your income had grown substantially uh, to that point. Was your wife also working at this um, at, at the same time? Uh, no, she was not. So she was, when we uh, got married, she was an audiologist. So she tested hearing and, you know, was working in a doctor's office. Um, but when we had kids, she decided to stay home and our kids were homeschooled all during their school career. So all the way from kindergarten to high school. Um, so she stayed home doing that. And I, you know, was working on my career. That's great. Excellent. And then obviously with the finances, it sounds like you're, you're based on you having a blog and, and purchasing Rockstar Finance. You're in, you're into the finances and, and, and talking about it. I'm into it. it yes. <laughs> so yes, how, I am. How does your wife fall on that, on that side of the fence? Is she into it as much as you are? No, or is she... <laughs> no, she's not. No, she'd be like, you know, I, yeah, I tell her that like, Oh, I'm going to go to this, this thing called FinCon and I'm going to meet all these people that write about money online. It's gonna be great. And she's like, you know, rolling her eyes going, Oh, okay, whatever, you know. She's just thinking like, you're meeting people on the internet and you're going to go see them in person. That sounds kind of strange, but okay, if you think it's a good idea. That's great. Well, I mean, obviously she's enjoyed the the outcomes of your 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 interest in money, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> Very yeah. cool. So, and then you have a couple kids, you said now they're they're in we college, do. is that right? So, one of them is in college and she's studying criminal justice and wants to work for in some, uh, you know, anti-terrorism capacity. <laughs> so we'll see what shit that happens to her. And then my son is, uh, still at home. He's working and he's you know trying to decide what he wants to do with his life while he's still working here, you know, at the same time. Excellent. So ha- have you spent some time with them uh, as they grew up trying to introduce them to money and finances and, and sm- oh, yes. smart ways of doing oh, it? Yes. Oh yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of depends on what you talk to them about based on what they're able to handle. So, you know, at the beginning when they were getting allowances, you talk about, you know, you know, saving some and spending some and giving some. And then as they get older, you have, you know, more and more, you know, conversations that are deeper about, you know, what, how money works. And like, like this year, we just got done doing our taxes, you know, and we are still, we, we have a CPA that does our taxes and they, the CPA does the, um, kids taxes too, but they get more involved every year. They see, you know, what is, um, what is involved with, even just getting everything assembled to send to the CPA for your taxes and, you know, how much you get back and how it kind of works and should you get any money back and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, we have those conversations, you know, all along the way and they obviously know that I write about money. So, but you know, there's also, there's also like the dad factor, like, Oh dad, you know, there's that sort of, you know, so, uh, you know, they all have to, they're going to have to make their own decisions. And, um, you know, the biggest concern that I have, and my wife and I have talked about this is, you know, our kids have never seen us struggle financially and they've never had to live through financial struggle. Like I did when I was a kid. And like my wife did when she was a kid, you know, we lived through that because our parents were in certain situations where, um, you know, there were, there were rough times and, you know, the, the character that you have and the way you manage money as a result of that is different than if you grow up in a environment where there's never that issue. There's never a problem. You're, you know, you're well off. You're living in a nice house in a nice neighborhood. You're taking trips, you know, around the world in different places. Um, so, you know, we, we wonder how that will impact our kids and you don't, you don't know until, you know, they live their lives. So, but it's something we continually talk about and we talk about with them about, um, you know, managing money and being responsible with what they have. That's really interesting. So you, you had grown up in, in a, 
an environment where money wasn't abundant, um, but that Thanks. made you want to, you know, give your family and yourself, uh, you know, a rich life. Um, yes. so, so now you have children that have grown up with a lot and your, your struggle is to, ha- how do we not make this uh, a, a cycle, right? How do we, how do we not right. go back? Right. Um, yes. so what, what are some of those conversations, I guess, that you're, that you're having to, to, to keep that uh, knowledge going? And I know you get the dad eye roll sometimes, but, uh, I guess that would, that would, <laughs> that's a very interesting topic, I guess. Yeah. Most of it centers around, um, spending at this point in time, because we have lived in a environment where, um, we've kind of been in abundance, um, our kids buy a lot of stuff. My son is a collector of shoes, um, you know, like the Jordans and the LeBrons and the, you know, this and that. And, you know, that's, I guess that's a thing nowadays. The guys do, (laughs) they collect basketball shoes. Um, so he spends a lot of money on those. My daughter, um, has earned a lot because we've, um, we've given her financial incentives to do that. So she's made the right choices there. She's made the right choices about college and where to go and how much to spend and all that. Um, but she likes to buy nice things too. So a lot of our conversations now center around spending and that, you know, that there's going to be a day when the spending is going to have to be ratcheted back because you're going to be on your own. You're going to be on a fixed income of some sort, and you're going to have to manage a lot more bills than you're managing now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, they're at the point where they're being transitioned into the fact that like, oh, somebody pays for us to live here. And, and there's like <laughs> heat, there's heat in the house that somebody has to pay for and the lights and, and the food in the refrigerator. I have to actually go get that and give people money for that. Um, you know, and stuff, just stuff like that, that's been taken for granted because it's always been there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we're transitioning now and then, you know, continue to work with them on here's how much you spend, here's how much you earn. And then of that, you want to save a portion of it and then, you know, spend the rest of it. But you got to control your spending. You just can't spend first and then whatever's left save or you'll never get to saving. Well, that's good. That's good. I remember being uh, 22 and getting my first house and then starting to get those bills, the electric bill, the water bill, the heat bill. Yeah, like, Whoa, what is this thing? I, yeah. I have to pay this too? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, cool. Well, that's great. Uh, well, best of luck with that, those continued conversations with your family yeah, for sure. You. So I, I wanted to take a, just a quick second to talk about financial independence. Obviously, this is a big term that you hear a lot. And, you know, this is essentially when you've got enough money to not have to work at a, at a day job all day long or, or have, um, you know, what do they say? 25 times your annual expenses, uh, in order to, you know, live your life and, and enjoy yourself. Yes. So, so when, when did you hit that point throughout this journey where you said, Hey, I'm, I'm good working at my career. I'm all done with that. I want to try this, uh, financial independence thing. Yeah. So I retired. So the answer to when I jumped out of the, out of the, uh, career is at 52 in, in 2016. But the answer to when I became financially independent is I'd probably have to go back and look, um, but probably sometime in my 40s, probably my early, early 40s. But back then, you know, there weren't the conversations about being financially independent that there are today. There wasn't, you know, Mr. Money Mustache wasn't around. Um, and the people, you know, that, that line of thinking was even the 4% rule was not as nearly as prominent. Um, in fact, I don't even know when the 4% rule came around, but it's been, you know, the past few years, it's been talked about way more than, you know, back when I was blogging in the, in the mid, you know, 2000s, like 2005, six, seven, there was, there were no, you know, conversations about the 4% rule and no one was retiring, you know, in their twenties, thirties, forties or whatever. 
in my day, if somebody retired at 60, that was early retirement. Mm-hmm. And that's just with, you know, that's based on the people that went before me. Um, so that was kind of my goal. And eventually one day I just kind of woke up and put two and two together and said, I'm financially independent now. I've been for a long time. I just, I'm going to retire. I live in Colorado. It's great to live here. I'm going to get out and, you know, enjoy my life while I still can. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Do you think if you if this conversation was as prevalent as it is today, that you would have retired earlier than you did? Yes, I think <laughs> I would have. Yes, and that's I think the number one issue. You know, people have. I get people writing me, um, you know, regularly, maybe once every few weeks or so. I'll get somebody send me an email going, "I've got five million dollars, and I don't know if I have enough to retire." You know, can you help me? I'm like. <laughs> Dude, you have enough to retire. Believe me, unless it's like all locked up in a you know somewhere where you can't get to it, or you know you live on a Caribbean island that you have to maintain yourself. You know, you, you, with any sort of reasonable expenses, you have more than enough to retire right now. Right. Um, but people are you know they're locked into you know should I do it? I don't know. So that's the number one I would say um, mistake that people make, and is the number one mistake I made is waiting too long. I mean, I waited too long, so I would have I would definitely if I had to do it all over again would have retired earlier Hmm. well you're probably inspired by a lot of the conversations that are happening on rockstar finance so is that a big is that a reason that you wanted to buy that uh that site um well for me you know you have to find something to do the the whole retirement conversation while it's been shifting from you know retire at 65 to retire you know much earlier than that it's also been shifting from you know, it used to be when you retired, you either played golf or you bowled or you whatever, <laughs> you kind of like sailed into the sunset and that was it. You know, now it's more like, well, what do you want to do? And what you want to do could be a business of your own. It could be uh, traveling. It could be, you know, any number of things. And for me, and you have to have something in there anyway um, to keep you sharp or else, you know, if you don't use it, you kind of lose it. So Rockstar Finance for me was kind of uh, filled a couple different niches. It kept me, um, it's exciting to work on a business like that. It keeps me sharp. Um, I had an abundance. I was starting to pile up cash again because, you know, the, the real estate market is just so crazy. I don't think I'll probably buy any more real estate unless something happens dramatically with the prices. So I needed something to, I was had all this cash that was earning like 1%, you know, that's about all you can get on your cash these days. Um, so I was like, okay, I want to take this money that's earning 1% and I want to earn, you know, 20% or 40% or 50%. And so a business is one way you can do that. And, um, rockstar finance was the reason that, you know, that's the, one of the reasons I bought rockstar Finance is because it also has a good return on it. Excellent. And you're passionate about the topic as well. Obviously. I am. Yeah. So I'm already in the niche. I like it. I know a lot of people. It help. It helps me in addition to make money, helps me help a lot of people that deserve it and are having a tough time finding um, the traffic that they need for their site. So it has a lot of benefits. Excellent. Well, it's an incredible website. If you guys do not know about what Rockstar Finance is, check it out. I'll definitely put it in the show notes. Um, John, before we conclude, you've had a lot of success in your career and in your post-career and this financial independence lifestyle you're living. Um, surely there was some mistakes along the way. <laughs> what's, uh, yeah. what's, one, what's one piece of financial advice that yeah. you give yourself to your, to your younger self as you were going through this, uh, this life so far? Yeah. So if I had to do it all over again, I would start saving sooner. It took me 
Um, by the time I got out of graduate school, I was 24 and it took me until I met my wife and we got married, which was a few years after that until we started really saving aggressively. Um, so I lost, you know, five years, let's say of saving, which, you know, those five years, you know, if you took what I had now and tacked on five more years of compounding would be worth a lot of money. So that was my biggest mistake was just, I should have started saving, you know, from the get go. Excellent. Well, obviously, if, if we're catching people earlier in their 20s on the show, <laughs> maybe, that's right. well, maybe that's, we can get them started. And that's one of the things you know, I'm talking to my kids about is like, if you guys start saving now, you know, this money's going to be worth this when you're my age. And that's why I get the, oh, dad, okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's because that's because they right since they have it right now right it might be when they're twenty two and they right. don't have it they're gonna be like okay uh, now I need that money <laughs> yes cool and and as you were uh, uh, going through this financial independence path right here or reaching where you are was there a book that kind of influenced you that said hey um, this is yeah. really gonna amp things up for me. Yeah. So the millionaire next door, when it came out, I was kind of in the process of you know figuring it all out, read it and basically said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to control my expenses. I'm going to live within my means and I'm going to be the millionaire next door. So it was by far the uh, one book that's influenced me financially more than any other. I love that one too. It, it's a great mindset shift or if people are thinking rich means something in one way, this is a book, this is a book will help you to understand that, that, uh, that, uh, myth is, is a myth. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you're the millionaire next door. I love it. <laughs> Very cool. So where's the best place people can follow you and learn more about the, uh, ESI way of life? Yeah, well, my two websites are esimoney.com is one, and then rockstarfinance.com is the other. And uh, as far as social media, I spend most of my time on Twitter at esimoneyblog. So I post there frequently and I'm around quite often. Excellent. Yeah, he's got some great articles, everybody. So uh, check him out. He's been freelance writing forever, and now he's been blogging forever. So that's great, man. (laughs) Very cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today, John. I really appreciate you jumping in and having some conversations about this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So much to learn from that conversation with John. Earning, saving, investing, navigating the wealth legacy for your children, and even how small business fits into the picture overall. Here are some of the main takeaways that stuck with me most from my conversation with John. Number one, grow your career and your income. Saving is important. Investing is important. But I do not think that I spend nearly enough time discussing how growing our careers can be one of the best ways to build our wealth. We can all increase our salaries and receive promotions by focusing on exceeding expectations and being likable. Great points by John. It seems simple, but if we focus ourselves in those areas, it can really make a big difference. And if you're at a company that's like a toxic environment and and you don't really see an opportunity to grow there, Take a look around and find somewhere new to go. You are in control of your career. Number two, trade income for time freedom. John mentioned that he got to a point in his career where he built up enough of a cushion of cash that he was able to take on a more convenient and lower paying job that allowed him to have more time with his family. This is right up my alley. When you when you have debt freedom, or a large emergency fund, or financial independence in general, these things can allow you to make these important moves. 
And time freedom, just, just the concept of having time freedom is so important for our family lives and for our marriages, really. So love that one. Number three, debt-free real estate can work. It works. <laughs> John said he's been debt-free for 25 years and he purchased all of his rentals with cash. He's experienced less stress, less worry, and more control. I'm sure it took him a lot more time to save up for those properties instead of getting on a mortgage. But in the end, it sounds worth it to me. Nicole and I are shooting for our first rental by the end of the year, and we're trying to do the cash route as well. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It might be December of 2019, but... Um, We'll see how much we can earn and save <laughs> to get there. But uh, yeah, we'll get there when we get there. It's all good. So let's recap those takeaways. Number one, grow your career and your income. Number two, trade income for time freedom when you've got that, you know, that cushion. And number three, debt-free real estate works. I am so thankful to have this platform, this podcast. I'm privileged to learn really from, from some of the most successful people out there. And it, it sure helps give me motivation. It boosts my motivation level when the people that we're speaking to on the show are family-focused folks that I can relate to. John absolutely crushed the wealth-building game for his family. Now I'm inspired to do the same. Who's with me? Now it's time to announce the Money Master of the Week. Jenny from Florida called in to share a recent debt-crushing victory. Take it away, Jenny. Hi, my name is Jenny from Cape Coral, Florida, and I just wanted to share our story. Um, my husband and I started out living, quote-unquote, normal lives, a little bit of debt, but we were able to pay our bills. We just did not have a plan. Um, and life, like it likes to do, there was a few curveballs. And through some medical issues and infertility, we were left facing $100,000 in medical bills and over $120,000 in debt overall. Uh, the positive was that we were pregnant with my baby girl, which was the plan. Um, but we knew that we couldn't bring her into the world with all of this debt. So we gave ourselves a timeline of 24 months and we came up with a plan. We downsized our house, sold a few things and came up with a written budget. That's most important. Basically just cut out anything that didn't add value to our lives, anything that didn't bring us true happiness. Through that and some creative side hustles, we were actually able to beat our original deadline and pay that $120,000 off in less than 12 months before the baby was even born. Uh, fast forward to our original deadline, 24 months, and we've now gone from that $120,000 in debt to a net worth in the six figures somewhere. Um, through our journey, we've just been able to do more of what we love and value. Like we spend more time with our daughter. We travel. We do things that make us truly happy. And we just live this intentional plan and allows us to have this lifestyle without the deprivation that I thought would come with budgeting and frugality. You can hear more of our story and hopefully pick up some tips along the way at livinglifelovingus.com. $120,000 clobbered in under 12 months. That is incredible. Jenny and her husband knew they wanted to be parents and through all the obstacles they faced, they did it. They accomplished it. They wanted to live a debt-free life and they did it. Was it a difficult mountain to climb? I am sure of it, but they did it anyway. They partnered together. They used her nurse salary, his firefighter salary, sold a lot of their stuff 
and work side gigs like crazy. I will include the link to their article in the show notes so you guys can learn a little bit more about this um, this couple. But now, now they've started their lives with their little girl with no debt. In my opinion, family is the best debt destruction motivator out there inspiring. If you want to learn more about the details of Jenny's story and learn how you can crush debt like she did, go to livinglifelovingus.com. Jenny, thank you so much for reaching out to me and congratulations for being our Money Master of the Week. Do you have a recent financial victory that you want to share on this show? Please reach out to me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. I would love to hear from you. Stories like this keep me motivated. It transitions really well from the conversation we had with John about making massive action throughout your life to build wealth for your family. Very cool. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 80. Eight zero. If you've been enjoying this show for a little while, please do me a favor and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I am shooting for my 100th review this month. And I could really use your support. I am nearly there. I've got 96 reviews. Can you help me get over the top today? I'd really appreciate it. Go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Apple Podcasts. If you are not into Apple, uh, you could go to Stitcher. Stitcher is another great place to leave me a review and some support. So go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Stitcher. So again, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Apple Podcasts or marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Stitcher. Thank you so much for considering it. These reviews really help not only motivate me, but it helps people to find the show and help me just continue doing what I'm doing. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Take some massive action today and win for your family. Carpe diem. 